0: This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today This is a podcast where normally I interview runners, professional and everyday runners, but I'm doing an athlete series where we aren't necessarily focusing on runners here. Um, This is a Wednesday episode. My normal episodes drop on Fridays. So today I wanted to highlight an athlete who will be competing in the games in Tokyo, in the Olympic games, who is not a runner. And that is Kyra Condi. She is a climber. She qualified for the Olympics for Team USA. And she's a professional climber. She started climbing at the age of 11 in her original home gym. And early on, found out that she had idiopathic scoliosis. So she had to have some pretty major surgeries as a young child. She had a spinal fusion surgery to correct her more than 70 degree curvature and took several months to recover. But then she started competing and climbing, and she won her first major competition after having that surgery. Since then, she has qualified for the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games, and she has also become a bouldering World Cup finalist and is a regular at pro competitions around the U.S. Now, Kyra explains to us, what the climbing competition at the games, at the Olympic games will look like. I had a lot of questions around that. She's known to be an aggressive and quick climber and she shares with us about what it's like to do this as a professional. Okay, if you didn't have climbing on your radar to watch in the Olympics this summer, add it to your list and look for Kyra. It's gonna be really exciting to see what she can do at the games this summer. Okay, and then this Friday, we have an episode coming out with Nell Rojas. She is competing in the 10,000 meters at the Olympic Trials this Friday. So that'll be exciting and fun to hear from her going into that race. Did you know that I have training plans available on my website, from the half marathon to the marathon? I have four different half marathon options, from beginner to advanced, as well as three different marathon options, from beginner to advanced. With these training plans, you get a detailed pace chart. So if your goal is to run, say, a four hour marathon, you get a pace chart and that will help guide you to hit certain paces in workouts. Along with that, the training plans also include detailed videos of pre and post run workouts that I suggest everybody do, as well as a very basic strength training video that I suggest if you're just getting started with running and strength training, this is a really good place to start. These plans build gradually and you can choose, based on wherever your mileage is at right now, which plan will work for you. I've spent years coaching athletes to running their best marathon times. It's not something I promote a lot these days because I keep my roster really small, but I've learned a lot over the years with my own training and my own coaching, and I decided to put these training plans on my website. So if you're just looking for something simple and not as big as a dedication to hiring a coach, these training plans could work for you. I've had a lot of really great feedback from the plans. People who have qualified for Boston using these plans and I really believe in them. I spent a lot of time putting them together and I had a lot of input from my husband, Glenn, who is also a runner. So you can check them out when you go to lindsayhine.com slash shop and see if there is a plan for you. Okay, enjoy my conversation with Kyra Condi. Today on the podcast... I am so excited to bring a new series. We're interviewing some athletes who um, aren't in the sport of running. They are doing sp- all kinds of different sports. So today we have Kyra Condi, and she is into sport climbing. Kyra, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I've like I learned so much about what you do just in the past few days, and. It's crazy! It's so cool to see this sport that's like newly an Olympic sport, and I'm so excited for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, we got into well 2020, which is now 2021 uh, for the first time. Like, uh, so that's a totally new Olympic sport, and we're also confirmed for 2024. So you'll see us in both this Olympics and the next one. That is So. so
0: cool. So tell us a little bit about your backstory with climbing. You started when you were really young, so. Um, did it just start with your parents
1: taking you to a climbing gym? Yeah, so I actually started climbing when I was about ten or eleven years old, and it was actually a birthday party I went to. Uh, was the oh, first really? time I like really realized that like you know climbing was a sport. I had been on you know the walls at like carnivals or um, you know the little walls at like playgrounds and stuff, but um, going to the gym was definitely a couple birthday parties, and there was one that like really stuck to be. Um, definitely my sport. Like one of the, the people who was chaperoning the birthday party was like, oh, there's a team if you want to join it. Uh, and so that's how I learned that it was a sport that I could actually do all the time.
0: Do you remember the person whose birthday party that it was? Are you still friends? Uh, no,
1: I don't think we are it was in a, <laughs> elementary school when everybody invites you to everybody's birthday party. So.
0: Oh, yeah, for uh. sure. Um, you know, I just took my boy's to a climbing gym, like a legit climbing gym for the first time. I'd never done it before and they had a blast.
1: It's a super fun sport and I feel like kids are really intuitive at it. Uh, it's kind of one of those natural things that your body does is, you know, we run, we, we walk, we swim uh, and we can climb. So I think it's, it's really intuitive and uh, kids are usually actually really good at it.
0: Yeah. My, my big boys, they're eight and six, so they're still pretty young, but it was cool to see them just, try something totally new i saw other kids there who are like i'm i was like okay these kids come to the climbing gym like all (laughs) the time they're definitely regulars
1: at this yeah people are starting younger and younger like i started when i was 11 but even people i compete against uh started when they were six or seven which is which is crazy
0: okay so tell the story about your back surgery you you start climbing you're enjoying that and then you find out you have to have this major surgery
1: yeah so I, i found out um pretty quickly once I started climbing that I had scoliosis, I was really having a lot of trouble with a lot of core exercises at the gym. My coaches were telling me that my form was uneven because like I was favoring one side. Uh, and it turns out that, yeah, my, my spine was just really twisted. Uh, mm. so, um, we found it really late. It was already, I think 55 degrees when we found, um, when I got my first x-ray and that's already past the point of needing surgery. Mm. So pretty much immediately started consulting with surgeons and, uh, Trying to figure out how long I would have to take off climbing if I would be able to climb again, um, and I ended up getting ten vertebrae fused together. So basically, T two through T twelve in my back are one bone now, wow. uh, so like, that can't twist or bend at all. Um, so things like, you know, putting on a seatbelt are really hard because you mm. can't like twist behind you to grab the seatbelt. Uh, but climbing has been, you know, pretty great uh, for it. It's you know really helps with balancing out your back muscles and. I only had to take four months off climbing, which was enough time for the bone to heal. So yeah, it was it was a big surgery. But. How old were you when you got the surgery? Um, I believe I was 12, about to turn 13.
0: It's crazy. Like the older you get, I feel like the more a surgery like that, you're like, you realize like how intense that actually is. And at 12, were you more concerned with like, I just want to get back to climbing?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I actually think the surgery came at a really good time. Uh, You know, starting sports really young and getting too serious too fast can Mm. lead to burnout. And um, the surgery kind of forced me to have this break from climbing in a time where I maybe would have been getting pretty burnt out. So I think it really actually uh, reinforced how much I love climbing and uh, made me realize how much I wanted to do that sport for the rest of my life. Because I was kind of in that stage where uh, instead of going to climbing practice, I wanted to go to the park with friends or something like that. And so I think it came... At a really good time, and yeah, I have a lot of respect for my parents for not uh, showing me how much they were freaking out. Probably about <laughs> right, <that.
0: laughs> right. Like this so is your spine, older, yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: For sure. Do you have siblings, Kyra?
1: Yeah, my uh, I have an older brother named Xander. Uh, he's two years, two and a half years older than me, um, and he's he's really good at music. He's a really, really talented and uh, musician.
0: What he does he play?
1: T- uh, he's a uh, really, really good singer and also uh, amazing at the piano. Oh, and cool. but he can play pretty much everything now. I think he plays guitar and drums, and um, he's taught himself a lot. Like he has perfect pitch, which is like he can hear a song and then just play it. So it's it's pretty nuts.
0: Ah, oh, that is that is like a skill that you're just born with. I wish I had it. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that the? I mean, you're both really gifted at at two very different things. Do you think? any of that has to do with the way your parents cultivated, just like teaching you to go after what you love?
1: Yeah, I think my parents actually did a really good job of not pushing us towards anything, but really supporting us. Mm. So, you know, like they, they had me take piano lessons, but as soon as I realized that my brother was way better at piano than (laughs) I was, uh, you know, they didn't force me to do it, but they kind of encouraged me to follow it if I was enjoying it at all like oh you might regret this later if you quit piano lessons you know and so I stayed with it for a while so they were really good I think at, at pushing us to do the things that we wanted to do and but not applying too much pressure I feel like you you see the really intense parents especially in youth sporting events all the time mm-hmm. and I think that's partially what leads to burnout and I think my parents did an amazing job of um, making me feel really supported without actually uh, applying too much pressure are you naturally competitive yeah, I think our whole family is actually, uh, <laughs> the Condies in general are kind of known for how competitive we are. <laughs> so I would say I definitely am.
0: So is that your dad's side of the family or is that just like your um, your family, like the four of you?
1: Uh, yeah, my my whole dad's side of the family is, is really competitive for sure. Our Christmases were always intense with game playing <laughs> and, uh, and stuff, so.
0: So tell us a little bit about sport climbing for the listeners who don't really know what it is. You know, we kind of talked about going to a climbing gym, but as an Olympic sport, how exactly is it judged? How do you, how do you compete?
1: Yeah. So that's a really good question. The, so competition climbing is what sport climbing encompasses. And competition climbing has three different disciplines. There's bouldering, lead climbing, and speed climbing. Okay. So speed climbing is the most straightforward discipline. It's just um, the wall is always the same. It's 15 meters tall. And basically there's beeps that start you, and then you go after the beep. And it's the person who gets to the top of the fastest. So that one's super self-explanatory. Uh, really exciting to watch the world record times have just been like plummeting. It's really cool. Mm. I definitely recommend looking up a a video of speed climbing if you haven't ever seen it. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Impressive. Um, and then bouldering is my favorite discipline. It's kind of short, powerful routes and that's where you fall to the ground if you fall. So you only go up maybe 12 feet. Um, and you get multiple tries on those climbs. So there tend to be kind of dynamic kind of parkour style moves. Um, really intense where you can sometimes it takes a couple tries and you only get five minutes to do each climb okay Um, so that's like how that one works and then lead climbing is more of the endurance based uh, discipline so you only get one try and it's as far as you get on that route and so usually it's more like 60 moves where bouldering is somewhere between five to ten moves Uh, and it gets gradually harder as you go higher and so um, the person who gets the furthest is the person who wins
0: Wow. So your favorite's bouldering. I've noticed a lot of your videos. You're on these like really small, but walls that are inclined. Like it, it doesn't, you don't go super high. Do you focus on that mostly or do you focus on them all equally, the three disciplines?
1: Yeah, so bouldering is definitely my favorite. Uh, But the Olympic format, actually, we were only given one medal for the Olympics. So we had to figure out a way to combine all three disciplines so that each discipline was able to be represented at the Olympics. Uh, And so the event that you'll see in 2021 uh, in Tokyo is combined format where each competitor is competing in all three disciplines. So we'll do a speed climb, and then we'll go to a bouldering round, and then we'll do a lead climb. So you kind of have to be really well-rounded for the Olympics. Um, and it's, it's actually really hard to be in good shape for all three at once. So that's a totally new challenge for basically all the sport climbers who are going to be at the Olympics because most people have a, a discipline that they focus on. Wow. So I do love bouldering the most though. <laughs> wow.
0: Okay, so how do they pick the Olympic team? Is there three males and three females doing sport climbing for 2021?
1: So for the U.S., we have two women and two men. And the way we qualified was actually at world events, not a uh, US team trials. Okay. So we had to do like a certain level of well at certain competitions in order to qualify and only 20 men and 20 women worldwide qualified.
0: Oh, wow. All over the world, only 20, 20 total.
1: Yeah. And so it was it was really competitive this year to try to, or I guess it was I mean, the years this year are all messed up. But uh, in 2019, it was super competitive uh, to try to qualify because there's so many talented climbers. Uh, And then there was a maximum of two per gender per country.
0: Oh, okay, A max of two. So when you qualified, was this the bouldering World Cup circuit that you
1: did? Was it that experience that qualified you? So you had to do well enough at the bouldering World Cups, as well as the lead World Cups, basically to get an invite to the Olympic qualifying event. And then at the Olympic qualifying event, that was like a single event that you had to then get top six at.
0: Okay. To
1: qualify. Wow. So that's how, that's the qualification path I had, was this really long season of going to all the World Cups, trying to get the best results that I could, and then hoping that was enough to get an invite to this Toulouse qualification event in France, uh, then getting that invite, training for that event, and then having to do well at that event.
0: Okay. So I watched your video, the deep water solo video that you did. Um, so crazy. So cool. (laughs) I'm curious though, like you're competing, you know, on whatever the man-made walls, how much do you go out into like nature and practice on walls like that? Just like the rocks out in the world?
1: Yeah, I think it's actually something that's really interesting about climbing is that there is this duality. We have this outdoor aspect of climbing and also the competitive indoor aspect. Um, so if you're getting really burnt out on competitions, uh, you can always go outside and challenge yourself in a totally different non-competitive environment. But it's still really challenging and really mentally involved to to try climbs outside. So it's it's really cool that there's this two aspects of it because I feel like a lot of sports don't have that, mm-hmm. you know gymnastics you are training for competitions you're not training to go do gymnastics outside you know um so it's definitely something that's really unique to climbing i try to get out on rock uh, as often as possible living in utah it's a lot easier than it was when i was living in minnesota there's a lot more uh, (laughs) cool rocks around utah but as far as when i'm training for competitions i try to focus mostly on indoors and then on like during off season is when i like to try to get outside
0: yeah I bet you're pretty good at gymnastics, too. But did you ever, like, give yourself the opportunity to
1: dabble in that at all? Uh, I did gymnastics as a little kid before I started climbing. And uh, I actually do think there's a lot of crossover. I think if you're good at gymnastics, it's a high chance that you're going to be pretty good at climbing. Um, but yeah. for me, the, the back, you really got in the way of trying to be a gymnast. So that's a dream for another life, I guess.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, with your back situation, this might be a silly question, but, like, can you do a backbend?
1: Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, but um, gymnasts have always been some of the athletes I've looked up to the most in the Olympics because uh, climbing wasn't an Olympic sport, so I didn't have climbing to look at t- in the Olympics, but I've always been a huge fan. And so I definitely always felt most similar to the gymnasts in the Olympics, like watching their team trials and then the Olympics themselves reminded me of like going to youth nationals and then going to youth worlds. Uh, like I like, always felt kind of on a similar path to the gymnasts, even So we maybe weren't. (laughs) Yeah, no, I can totally see that. Um, Back to the three disciplines
0: for the Olympics, the speed climbing, the bouldering, and is it lead climbing? Is that what you said?
1: Yeah, lead climbing.
0: Okay, I'm I'm just a little bit confused. How is that? Like, how is your performance judged? Obviously speed, it's like, who gets there first, but then like, cumulatively, how do they pick? Like, how do you uh, win gold, silver, bronze?
1: Yeah, that's also a really good question. It's actually based on your rank in each. So say I win speed climbing, win bouldering, and then get 10th in lead climbing, I would have 10 times one times one. So I'd have a score of 10. Um, And so then, you know, somebody who maybe gets second in all three disciplines, so two times, two times two, they'd have an eight and they would win. Okay. Got it. Okay. So
0: talk to us a little bit about your training cycles. You know, I am used to interviewing runners. So like you kind of know, like if someone's building up towards a marathon, they've got like a 12 to 16 week cycle for that, you know, that training cycle. What do your training cycles look like for your competitions?
1: Yeah. So it's actually really new, um, to have for me personally, to have like a training cycle with you know, tapering and, uh, different blocks. I've never really done that before with climbing, having not been an Olympic sport, we never had a ton of funding. Uh, and therefore there was never a ton of structure. Mm. So that's all these like, you know, funding in the sport and coaches and, uh, all that is pretty new. And so USA climbing now has full-time coaches who are awesome and have helped a ton. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just now starting my first like ever like block training cycle. And what we're doing is kind of doing not quite in everything at once, but kind of. So we're doing strength and power and endurance kind of all in the same block and then rotating that because you kind of need everything at once in climbing. Mm. Uh, You can't really only peak at one time as well because the season's so long. Mm -hmm. So we try to have it so that we're peaking periodically throughout the season. Um, But I tend to try to focus on bouldering because it does relate the most to both lead climbing and speed climbing, okay. whereas if I was only doing lead climbing, which is pretty endurance-based, my bouldering, which is pretty power-based, and speed climbing, which is also power-based, would both suffer. So I try to focus on the thing that helps everything, whereas um, like, yeah, if I was only training lead, I think my other two disciplines would suffer a lot, if that makes sense. Yeah, it sounds like so much strategy, honestly. Yeah, there definitely is, especially when it comes to your ranks. You know, having a really low rank in one discipline can really help your score. If you can get that first place rank, um, you know, you're going to have a much lower score than if you don't get that first place rank. So uh, it's there's definitely a ton of strategy involved as well. OK, so there's more
0: funding in the sport now, more coaches. You have coaches for Team USA Who guided you along the way when you were coming up? Like after you get your back surgery and you really start getting serious about it, who were the people that guided you and taught you
1: the skills that you know now? Yeah. So that's also actually an interesting question for me is, so I grew up on a team from when I first started climbing in 2009, 2008, until about, I want to say, maybe 2011. Uh, And then I quit the team actually and uh, trained by myself. And then I actually really trained by myself until I moved to Utah, which was in 2019. Wow. Um, yeah. So I um, climbed with other competitors and I would go and attend training camps. And then I would just take what I learned at those training camps and basically train myself the rest mm-hmm. of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so our U.S. team coach for the youth team, Claudio, he, um, he taught me a lot about how to train and uh, how to prepare for competitions. And I would take that back and but then mostly do it myself, I guess. And then now living in Salt Lake and having a coach full time, it's been honestly a huge relief. I feel like it's a lot of pressure off of uh, my own shoulders as far as planning out my own training, Mm because that just takes a lot of mental energy. And then you don't have as much energy for actually training. And so having somebody else do that, you can just apply all your training or all your energy to the training instead of the planning and stuff as well.
0: Wow. Wow. I yeah, I can imagine. That would be really stressful to plan all that out. What do your days look like? How many hours a day do you train? Do you take rest days?
1: Yeah, so we have a schedule right now where our rest days are on Wednesdays and Sundays. Okay. So we train Monday, Tuesday, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And most of those days are doubles. So we'll come in the morning and train nine to noon and then come in again in the evening and train four to seven. And I've been doing a lot of you know, strength training in the morning. So strength training nine to noon and then climbing in the evening. Um, There's some days where I'll climb in the morning and then do a climbing workout in the evening. And then there's other times where we'll focus kind of more on the skills of climbing. So kind of more the technique side. uh, And that's a little less taxing. So that's pretty easy to do in the evening or late in the session. So that's kind of how it's scheduled out.
0: Nine to noon. That's a lot of strength training.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a good amount of warm-up in there and cool down and a lot of rest as well. So you're definitely not just climbing the whole time or strength training the whole time.
0: Yeah. So when I think of climbing, which I'm not experienced at all, I'm thinking like so much upper body, so much core. What what are your strength workouts focused on or is it just total full body?
1: Yeah. So definitely more recently we've been doing – actually lifting and strength training. Uh, because I didn't have a coach growing up, I was always kind of afraid to touch the, the heavy lifts because mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about it. And I wanted to make sure I did it right if I did it. So I just never did any of that, like no deadlifts, no squats, things like that. Um, I always did bodyweight exercises. And so these uh, heavier lifts are really new to me. And I actually feel like I'm getting way stronger just having only done them now for 10 weeks. I think they're really useful. Uh, But we're doing a lot of full body stuff. Climbers tend to have historically really weak legs because, Mm -hmm. like you said, it's really core and upper body based. But it's really helpful to have strong uh, and especially sturdy legs with some different moves. A lot of people end up tearing ACLs or MCLs. So I really want to make sure that my legs are prepared to do any move that I need to do uh, and not get injured.
0: All right, friends, a quick break here to thank ZocDoc for supporting this episode of the podcast. Has this ever happened to you? You need to see a doctor and you search and find one that looks good. You wait on hold to book the appointment, you rearrange your schedule, and when you finally go in to find out this doctor doesn't even take your insurance, that's so, so annoying. We have a solution for you. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance, read verified patient reviews, and book an appointment in person or video chat. Never wait on hold with a receptionist again. Just download the free ZocDoc app, the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. Now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com another and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's ZocDoc, dot com slash another. All right. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Kyra. I want to hear about the moment when you found out that sport climbing would be an Olympic
1: sport. When did you find that out? So, when I was in high school, I think it was in 2013, we were trying to get into the 2020 Olympics, and we actually got denied for the Olympics. They reinstated wrestling instead of putting in any new sports. Mm. Uh, And so, we thought, you know, no chance for 2020, we'll look forward to 2024. I even have a timeline from my, I think, senior year of high school, where I wrote the 2024 Olympics on the timeline as as like a checkmark. But the... Tokyo organizing committee actually said that they were able to hold five more events than previously thought. And so it was actually in 2016 that we found out that Tokyo was able to hold climbing. Um, And Japan, the Japan team is actually amazing at rock climbing. So I think they probably were pushing pretty hard to have climbing in the Olympics, especially because it's in Japan. Uh, and Japan is so dominant in climbing, so I think that's going to be really exciting. But yeah, so it was in 2016, I was in college, and uh, I was realizing how well the timeline was going to work out for me, that I was going to graduate college in 2018, and then the 2020 Olympics, that's like only two years afterwards, so it'd be pretty easy to you know, focus entirely on climbing and try and qualify. So I, I think it was 2016 that I really started um, focusing on it, since that's when we found out that it was inv- included in the Olympics.
0: That's so cool. I mean, it's kind of like... It's kind of crazy to think you're pursuing this sport that you love so much not knowing, you know, that it would be an Olympic sport. Not to say that you couldn't keep pursuing it, but it certainly heightens the
1: excitement. Definitely. I mean, like like I said, I was looking up to gymnasts as a kid as far as like the the closest sport that I had to look up to in that Olympic space, and I had always been a huge Olympic fan. So having climbing being included was like a pretty big dream that I never thought was really going to come true. And so when it did, it was it was pretty huge. Well,
0: and I love this, like seeing these non-traditional sports kind of move into the spotlight a little bit more. I mean, I think that we we think, oh, I'm going to put my kids in soccer and gymnastics and basketball. But when I was at that climbing gym with my kids, I was like, I want to make sure I'm exposing my kids to like all these other different um, types of sports so that they can be more agile and just like find out like maybe that's what they love maybe you know like if you're only exposing your kids to soccer or basketball those traditional sports who knows what they could be missing out on
1: yeah for sure i'm on the i'm on the board of USA climbing and this is actually something that we've talked about a lot is kind of this idea that kids need to participate in a lot of sports kind of yeah to find out what they love and also it does just prepare kids better for being an athlete in general if they get to be really multidisciplinary basically in in different sports. So, you know, doing gymnastics, doing soccer, doing climbing, like it will help you become a better athlete when you focus eventually on one sport.
0: Yes, I love that so much. Um, And I'm glad people are talking about it. I definitely think that that is being talked about more. So you clearly learned to work really hard (laughs) at a young (laughs) age is there anything you think that, like, is there any specific person or, you know, somebody in a, in a mentor role or your parents or your brother who said something or did something to inspire you to work so hard? Um,
1: man, that's a, that's a hard question. I think, um, I think it has a lot to do with my personality, which I think comes a lot from both my mom and my dad. You know, my mom is like a really smart, strong woman, and uh, she taught me to be the same way, you know? Um, Mm. So when I was the only girl growing up in the, you know, this kind of male-dominated climbing gym, Mm. uh, I didn't let that get to me at all. I kind of wanted to keep up with the boys. I didn't let it become discouraging. Which I think there is definitely, if I look back, there's probably times where if I had been more aware, it maybe would have been really discouraging. But, you know, I think that aspect of my mom really helped. And then my dad's pretty stubborn. And I think I inherited that from him. So having that stubborn personality, I think, really helps as well. But, yeah, I, I don't I don't think I can pinpoint like one single person who really pushed me. But I think I have a lot of people in my life who have just always been really supportive uh, that have helped me get to where I am.
0: Okay, I want to talk about the Deep Water solo just a little bit more. I, you know, when I was like exploring your website and like looking at your career, I was thinking, this is so cool. She's traveled to so many places and she's still so young. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Like, what was that trip? How did um, I forget the gentleman's name who hosted it? But like, how did that all come about? And and yeah, can maybe explain what Deep Water solo or Deep Solo Water deep water
1: solo is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, So it was back in 2017, I want to say, or maybe it was 2018. um, I went to Vietnam with one of my sponsors, uh, Mountain Hardware, and we deep water soloed, which is where you climb without any gear uh, above water that's Mm. deep enough to fall into. So we were climbing, you know, 50 foot, 55 foot cliffs, basically above water. And when you get to the top, you just have to drop into the water. Um, and I have done that in competition form before. There was a competition in Park City, Utah, actually, uh, where it was a 55 foot tall wall over water and you basically raced up it against somebody else. Totally different format. Uh, so that was my only experience doing that type of climbing. And then we went to Vietnam, you know, we're halfway across the world, um, climbing above the ocean. I'm kind of a terrible swimmer to begin with. (laughs) Climbers are kind of traditionally bad at other sports. It's kind of funny. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I'm a bad swimmer. And I was like, I'm in the ocean, I'm climbing over water. uh, I have all this pressure from this film we're making. So I was worried that I was gonna not be able to do it. Like I was worried I was going to be too scared. Uh, But actually, once I got out there, it's so beautiful. And you're just so inspired by how much rock is around you. And um, to be able to climb it was just like a totally different and totally surreal experience. uh, And something I'm like, pretty grateful to have been able to do. But basically, yeah, it's it's you're climbing – it's, like, one of the more pure forms of climbing mm-hmm. I've done, I think, because uh, you really only have your climbing shoes and your chalk, and then uh, when you fall, you fall into the water and, like, nothing catches you. I actually find it almost less scary in some ways than some other types of climbing because, like, you know if you fall, you're falling into the water. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in, in, if you're league climbing, you have a rope on you, like, you do not want to fall and hit the ground, which you don't. You know, the rope the rope catches you. But, yeah, <laughs> you know, there's always that, like, kind of fear aspect of, like, I'm not going to hit the ground. Whereas in deep water soloing, you know you're going to hit the ground, but it's water. So (laughs) Yeah,
0: for sure. Um, One of the things I heard you mention in that uh, documentary is the fear management. And I thought, wow, I love that concept, fear management, because it can apply to so many things, not just in, you know... um, the deep water soloing, but anything in life, like managing your fear so that you can uh, have a balanced and healthy headspace. So can you talk about what fear management is to you and how you apply different principles or techniques in your own life to manage it?
1: Yeah. So I think um, in climbing, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty normal to get scared a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think some people let that really discourage them, it can be really upsetting that you're feeling afraid. Uh, But I think, you know, it's super natural to feel afraid. And uh, so I think it's something that we kind of have to embrace in climbing a lot. And personally, I try to evaluate, okay, am I afraid for a logical reason? Or is it like non logical reason? And if it's a logical reason, then I maybe reevaluate if I should be doing it or not. Um, And then if it's, you know, more of a, non-logical fear then I try to push through it and overcome it which is a really good feeling but I think you know realizing that fear is like a really natural thing to be feeling is something that uh, a lot of people struggle with because it can be really upsetting and you know you feel like you're not supposed to be feeling that way but I think embracing it and knowing that, that, that that's what you're feeling is is really important yeah for sure
0: so what are you most excited about for the olympics Um, well,
1: let's see before, you know, COVID in 2020, um, (laughs) I was definitely most excited to meet the other athletes and just be surrounded by so many people who have a similar life path to me as far as, um, you know, pursuing a sport, but, you know, with the, how we're not knowing how it's going to look, I'm honestly just really excited to compete and hopefully, um, you know, have a exciting event for people to look forward to during such a weird time in the world, you know, so that's kind of what i'm most excited
0: for yeah it's gonna be so so fun for everybody to just you know even us that are just spectating from our tvs like it'll just it'll feel normal you know like we're used to watching the olympics every four years like it's gonna feel so good to get to see all the athletes out there competing um what advice do you have for new climbers
1: Um, the best advice I have is that really anybody can climb. I think uh, there's this stigma in climbing that it's kind of only jacked, you know, (laughs) white guys who climb. And uh, I just really want more people to get involved and realize that it's for everybody. You know, um, we have a huge para climbing community. Uh, Hopefully they'll be able to get into the Paralympics eventually. You know, I think Really, you just have to try. Uh, And I think we also see these movies like Free Solo or (laughs) Dawn Wall, and you think that that's climbing. Like you have to do the biggest wall in the most intense way. And that's just not the case. You can go to the gym and you can get on, you know, boulders. You can get on top rope. You can even auto belay. Like you can go alone and easily climb. You don't need to have somebody to do it with. Uh, So that's kind of like what I wish people knew about it and that it's a lot easier to get into uh, than it may be seems.
0: What were your feelings on Free Solo when you watched it for the first time?
1: Oh, I'm actually a huge fan of Alex Honnold. Um, he's, you know, the guy who's in Free Solo. Uh-huh. Um, but it is, I mean, it is a horrifying movie to watch as a climber. Like, you, you know how hard those moves are and how slippery the rock is. And so, like, having that insight into that climb is, like, even more horrifying, I think, than, like, just somebody who doesn't know anybody, anything about climbing. Like, I've had friends who've done that climb on a rope. right? He told me about it, you know? And, uh, so they were like, I cannot fathom having done that. That doesn't make any sense. Like we were completely safe and just terrified the entire time. Um, so it's definitely a different perspective, but, uh, I have a lot of respect for what he does, but yeah, it's also not the only aspect of climbing, you know? So how do you think somebody like,
0: I don't know if courage is the right word or is it someone who is just like, has an adrenaline junkie like what is it like how
1: do you think that someone like him does that (laughs) it's a good question I have no idea um I mean that's just another you know there's people who are meant for different things you know Uh I feel like uh Michael Phelps is his body's perfect for swimming you know Uh uh I think Alex Honnold is that for free soloing you know something uh with how he thinks and how he climbs is just, you know, meant for what he's doing. I think it's one of those types of things. I am not meant for that type of climbing. (laughs) I was gonna say, what would more
0: importantly, what would your parents do if you uh, said you were gonna try to do something like
1: that? (laughs) I'm I'm sure my mom would be like, Oh, maybe maybe don't. (laughs) Maybe don't. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, been her response before on not the same, but similar ish type issues, you know, so.
0: Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I know you're a big fan of the Olympics in general. Are there any performances that, in, like, that you've watched in your lifetime that were um, just important moments for you to watch that have inspired
1: you to be the athlete that you are today? Uh, the one that sticks out, actually, was I was at a pre-nationals training camp, and we had a little TV in our, like, girls' room, and we were watching the gymnastics Olympic trials, and Gabby Douglas was just absolutely killing it and i became a huge fan and then i so she then she qualified for the olympics and i qualified for youth worlds
0: mm. and i
1: just like kind of saw this like, kind of similar path like i was saying uh, and then i was at the pre worlds training camp so this was in youth climbing and i was watching the olympics and you know gabby douglas like won the all around and the team all around and Uh, I just, I thought she was amazing. And so that one really sticks out because I was also training for, you know, what seemed like a really big event for me. And um, I just remember being so inspired by her.
0: That's so cool. Um, I feel like we've been talking about Simone Biles so much recently that I don't want to say I forgot about Gabby Douglas, but my mind has been more focused on Simone Biles. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, Gabby Douglas. She was amazing.
1: I have a huge crush on Simone Biles. I, uh, she's definitely somebody I would like to meet if I had the chance at in Tokyo, but I'm not sure if there's going to be much crossover in, as far as other sports that we get to see and stuff.
0: Um, okay. Well, I see you're a vegetarian and you cook most of your meals. I'm a vegetarian too. What, what's your favorite thing to cook?
1: Oh, um, I love pasta in basically any form. Uh, so like my go-to easy dinner is definitely just like pasta marinara sauce where I – you know, blend up some cherry tomatoes and cook it down and just put it on pasta. But I make a lot of like rice, tofu, veggies mm-hmm. and peanut sauce type things. Um, I don't know, but I'm always looking for good, good recipes. So uh, paella has also been a favorite recently, like vegetarian paella.
0: Yeah, um, I am super into the Oshi She Glows cookbook. Do you know it? Uh, I don't know that one. I mean, it's vegan, and I'm definitely not vegan, but there's some really good recipes in it. I I bought two of her cookbooks, actually, and I use them both frequently. Like, all these, like, really good, just, like, yummy cashew sauces that are, like, it's, like, cashew sour cream, which I'm not against sour cream, but I'm I'm also, like, all for getting some protein and having, like, good nutrition in my cashew sour cream, right? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, okay. Well, this has been so fun to learn more about sport climbing. I'm super excited to get to see you, uh, compete and see what the team does. Let's wrap up here with some end of the podcast questions. All right. What is one thing professionally or personally that you would like to do that you have not done yet?
1: Oh man. Um, well, I would love to get a dog one day. Uh, Mm. I have two cats, but I travel too much to have a dog right Mm -hmm. now. Um, But my dream is to have a great day. So I guess that's my my uh, personal dream. Uh, As far as professionally, um, you know, there's definitely some places I want to take, you know, my climbing brand, I guess, you know, uh, I'd Mm -hmm. love to, um, you know, advocate for making the sport more accessible. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to do that from my position on the USA Climbing Board um, as much as possible. But, you know, there's a lot more that I can do in that space, I think. Um, and having a platform is just a huge start for doing that. And that's what I've got so far. <laughs> so trying to figure out how to use my, you know, Instagram presence and stuff for, for good and things like that. So.
0: When did you see your Instagram presence um, grow? It, you have a, quite a large presence on there. What Was there a certain p- turning point in your career or was it a certain type of content you started posting that people just started gravitating toward? Uh, I think
1: I'm kind of known for posting like training content. And a lot of people tend to keep their training kind of secret, mm. I think. So uh, I think that's partially what it is. Uh, but definitely qualifying for the Olympics. Uh, I saw a big boost there. And with the reels on Instagram, I've actually seen a really big increase in following. Ugh, those damn reels. <laughs> I don't want to do them. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're pretty magical as far as getting new followers. I think it just uh, introduces your content to people who don't already follow you. Uh, yeah, which is
0: huge. Um, you know, I love that you said that being transparent about your training because we talk about this a lot in the running world as well. And there's a specific team in AZ Elite um, in northern Arizona that that's kind of one of the things they're known for is being totally transparent and sharing all of their training and their workouts. And um, there's this like long period of time in running where People were super secretive. You're not going to see the workouts on Strava and things like that. So it's interesting to hear that from another
1: sport as well. Oh, yeah. No, that's really funny. It's that's interesting. It's in other sports as well. I actually didn't know that either. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, because these guys are like, we're <laughs> not we're,
0: cool. <laughs> yeah. Like we're going to show up at the starting line, like as fit as we are, regardless of if, if you've seen it or not. And like, that's not going to make or break who takes this race. Yeah. That's
1: kind of what I've you know, realized if people take it and they get stronger than me, that probably means that they're, you know, working harder. (laughs) uh, Um, you know, I, I think it's another, it's a small way of making the sport more accessible as far as sharing those resources for people online.
0: Yeah. I think that that's so cool. Um, what's an accomplishment that you're most proud of?
1: Uh, well, obviously qualifying for the Olympics was a huge one. Um, getting past the back surgery, um, but I think, you know, the big standout one was the first time that I won youth nationals when uh, it was a year and a half post back surgery. I had never done that well. Like I'd made finals at youth nationals before, before my back surgery, but it wasn't until after that I actually won for the first time.
0: Oh, wow. That's amazing. Um, what's the best, most recent book
1: you've read? Oh, man, I that's a that's an embarrassing question. I'm not a big <laughs> reader. Um, I I love books, but I have a talent for falling asleep. Um, <laughs> However, I um, am a huge movie fan, and okay. uh, I've been watching a lot of um, movies and trying to learn as much from like documentaries and stuff. Uh, I thought, oh man, I don't know what it's called, but the Laverne Cox documentary on Netflix was, I thought, really eye-opening and really awesome. I cannot remember what it's called. Disclosure? Er. Okay. Uh, I think that's what it's called.
0: Laverne Cox. I know who that is, yeah. Orange is the New Black, right? yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Are you into any shows? Like, is there any, any um, like, crappy TV that you've recently been binging? Uh,
1: let's see. I watched Bling Empire on Netflix. So that was probably more of the uh, – but that, that one was great. Very entertaining. Okay. Uh, I, I saw I that, but I hadn't watched it yet. But uh, I've been super into the Marvel movies recently. So I, I got my Disney Plus and uh, watched all the Marvel movies in order. So I'm a huge nerd. So. <laughs> nice yeah
0: we're all about the Disney plus over here as well who is someone fun motivating or inspiring that you'd like to have coffee tea or a cocktail with
1: Ooh, um you know Simone Biles is definitely high up on my list I think I would just love to know how um how she trains and you know more about it because uh you know she is just so dominant and she must just have like an insane work ethic um yeah she's definitely high up on my list I think You know, who I just mentioned, Laverne Cox, would be amazing to talk to. Um, Yeah, that's a hard question. But (laughs) those guys are definitely both high on my list.
0: Well, those are fun answers. I love it. Um, You know, I've just thought of this on the spot, but learning more about sport climbing through this conversation, I'm curious, what's a sport you would like to hear about? Like if you were listening to this series on this podcast, like what's a sport that you don't think is covered a lot that you would want to hear an athlete from?
1: Um, I did a small Instagram live thing with uh, a BMX biker and oh, cool. I just didn't know anything about how that sport worked or was scored or how they trained for it or anything. And I was just fascinated and I wasn't the one asking questions, but I really wanted to ask her more questions. So <laughs> that was something I was like, oh, I don't know anything about this. So. Oh, that's cool. So you were like on
0: the panel as one of the athletes.
1: Yeah, Exactly.
0: Oh, cool! Yeah, BMX—that sounds really fun. Uh, my my kids would be all about that. They're they're a little bit young to like tune into a hour long podcast interview, but they love that kind of biking <laughs> stuff. Um, okay, Kyra, what's your last message that you want to leave with the audience today?
1: Ooh, that's always a hard question. Um, well, I guess I mean I hope people are feeling inspired to you know go to the climbing gym and try it out, um, but. Yeah, I guess it's kind of just reiterating that, you know, climbing is kind of for everybody and um, you should give it a try. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so
0: much for your time today, Kyra, and best of luck with your training.
1: Sweet. Thank you so much. Okay.
0: Talk soon. All right, friends. Thanks so much for being here today. If you want to learn more about Kyra and also follow her on Instagram, she's got some really cool videos over there. Go to Kyra underscore Condi. On Instagram. That's K Y R A underscore C O N D I E. And check her out. You can also find me on Instagram. I am Lindsay Hine 626. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay Hine. And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we have a group as well. Okay. And yep, we have Nell Rojas coming out this Friday. So just double episodes for the fun of it this week. I hope you learned something about climbing like I did and had fun listening to that conversation with Kyra. All right, have a really great rest of your day and we will see you Friday with another episode here on All Have Another.